Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Welcome back to another episode of Pickled Parables. My name's Chicho, and this is my first time teaching on this podcast. I'm very excited, so let's jump right into it. Today's episode is, Why Should Christians Go to Church? And the reason why I picked this topic is because I have loved ones, friends and family, who are professing Christians. They affirm Christ as their Lord and Savior, and yet, for a variety of reasons, there is an avoidance of the local congregation of plugging into a church body. And perhaps you have loved ones that are in the same situation, or you yourself are a Christian who, for whatever reason, you do not want to, or you don't see the necessity of gathering together in local corporate worship. And so I don't want to cause anyone to get defensive, but I think as your brother in Christ, I need to point out erroneous thinking, just like how I would want somebody to come to me to let me know that I have erred in my ways. So in turn, I will be held accountable as a teacher of God's word to not point out when somebody has the wrong view on something, especially as for something as important as the uh, body of Christ. Is it a salvation issue? No, I don't think so. I don't want to embellish the degree of importance. But nevertheless, I think it's a, it's a pretty big one. Again, not a salvation issue, but nevertheless, we shouldn't have the mindset of, well, if it's not a salvation issue, then I can just believe whatever I want, regardless of what God's word says. And so with that, the approach I want to take is this. And, and I hope this this is a benefit to those of you who have friends or you yourself are in that situation, let this be uh, a moment where we can open our, our minds, you know, soften our hearts to what God's word has for us. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the fact that, okay, let's, let's find some common ground that we can agree on. As Christians, we affirm that the Bible is God's word. It's inspired, written by men, Nevertheless, they were inspired through the Holy Spirit, and so we know that it is true in all that it teaches us. It is sufficient for educating us about salvation and who God is and his expectations for us. And so if that's true, then I want to use God's word as the source and foundation for my reasoning of why Christians should go to church. In the same vein, my brothers and sisters in Christ who don't see the necessity or they lack the desire of corporate worship, they will need to use God's word, the foundation of our faith, as their starting point for the reasoning that they have. And I find it highly unlikely that we are going to find arguments against corporate worship, but we're going to see sufficient evidence for God's desire that we do come together 
as the body of Christ on a regular basis to sharpen one another and to encourage one another in the faith. And so my, my initial viewpoint is this from first Peter three fifteen, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. And this is the main thing here. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I think that this verse applies whether we're talking to an atheist, to a Buddhist, a Mormon, or to our fellow Christians. We need to honor Christ, but we also need to be prepared to give a defense to anyone. So it's a blanket term. Anyone is anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in us. And so with that, let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll look at the scriptures. Father God, thank you for this day, wherever we're at, Lord, whether we're on our way to work or on our way home from work or we're night owls staying up late. Lord, I pray that wherever we're at, that you would meet us here in this moment to soften our hearts and open our ears and eyes to the scriptures. Lord, that we would be willing to obey you and to follow your instructions, to walk in the ways of our Lord Jesus Christ, even if it's not easy or convenient. We love you, Father. Forgive us our sins, wash us, renew us, and be with us this day. In Christ's name, amen. And so the first scripture I want to turn to is going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 44. We're going to look at the early church. It's not a late development in church history, or in, in Christianity rather, but the church was right there at the beginning of the institution of Christianity. So in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. And so there is a collective intentionality here. This wasn't individualistic or everybody in the privacy of their own homes, one-on-one with God, but rather it was a team effort where they had gathered together. They had devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship, and they were eating together and they were praying together, and there was work being done, heavenly work, wonders and signs, and they were all together and they had everything in common. While this isn't prescriptive where it's saying, Hey, you Mr. Or Miss Christian or Mrs. Christian, you know, what have you, um, you need to do this because the Bible said so. No, I mean, it's not prescriptive in that sense, but, but nevertheless, we see a trend of like, okay, this is what early Christians did. Does, does that mean, is this something that I should be doing too? And arguably there's some things in scripture that they do that we don't need to do circumcision, for example, but we're looking at the new Testament church this beautiful thing that the Lord initiated uh, with the new covenant. And so we need to take that seriously. And at this first point, I just want to say, again, this is going to be one of those passages where you look at it as a Christian and say, okay, is this an argument for or against something? Is the inclination here that we ought to be doing likewise, or are we ought to refrain from doing likewise? And clearly, this is something that we should be emulating today in the 21st century. Another passage, Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 4 through 5, 
says this uh, in regards to Paul and Timothy. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So again, if if we were to say that church isn't necessary, it's something that's man-made, not instilled by God, then we would have to say, okay, what God ideally would like is for nobody to gather together, together corporately, but everybody be individualized in their own homes. That would make the task of Paul and Timothy way more difficult. Do you think that they traveled from town to town with a census and spent day and night, weeks on end, years on end, just going literally house to house to give these same instructions from the apostles? Well, no, they're going to do everything that they can in obedience and accordance to God's word to be faithful followers of Jesus. But obviously what what's going on here is there's a multiple local smaller bodies of fellowship in a given region. And so a few believers charged with delivering instruction, what have you from the apostles were sent out and they met with local congregations. And what did it do? Well, it strengthened the churches in their faith and in numbers. Now that's not to say that, you know, if your church isn't growing in population, that there's something wrong there. But nevertheless, the point being is that if they're both in tandem, that's not a problem. And so again, is this an argument for something where we need to emulate it or something that we do, we need to avoid? Obviously, it could be a little silly to say, no, this, well, this, you know, rules for thee, but not for me. This is something that was for them, but this isn't something that we should adopt. Now, granted, these first two passages, I'm not trying to build an argument that's just ironclad. You can't knock it down. But nevertheless, when you weigh it on balance, it's more probable than not that this is something that we should be doing. Because if it's benefiting the church, that's obviously something that God wants because Christ is the groom of the church. We are the bridegroom. He wants his bride to be spotless and purified and washed and presentable to his father. But we do have stronger evidence than this, than just the behavioral part. We also have commands, interestingly enough. Uh, if we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it reads as following. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the beautiful things about scripture is that while there's nothing wrong with coming to God's defense and being a voice of reason, being a great ambassador for Christ, is that more often than not, the scripture really does defend itself. And in addition to Hebrews, we also have the book of John chapter 15, verse 12, where we're actually commanded by Jesus to engage in this group setting of fellowship and building each other up in a community of love. In verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Looking at it in a bigger context, to appreciate verse 12, I want to read verses 1 through 11. So starting back at verse 1 of chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, 
and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Arguably, I suppose I didn't have to read all 12 verses, but I really thought that helped capture the point. If you want to just read verses 10 through 12, you can see, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Hence, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the condensed version of it. It's an if-then proposition. And we experience these in everyday life all the time. If I leave now, I will make it to work on time. If I leave 10 minutes from now, I will be 10 minutes late to work. Day in and day out, people of all ages, we understand this concept of the if-then relationship. And so Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay, so let's keep his commandments. And what was the commandment that he ended with? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love? Well, we saw the three-year ministry that he had, where he had 12 disciples that he was close with, that they lived and breathed ministry together, that he was educating them. They were willing to be obedient to him, to submit to him. There was intercorrection between the disciples, just like how Paul calling out Peter for being a hypocrite for not wanting to eat with the non-Jewish people. And so just like how me as your brother in Christ wanting to call out erroneous thinking about you not wanting to attend church, right? So there's that's part of church. It's part of the corporate uh, fellowship of loving one another just as Christ loved us. And to follow up with that, in chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, I just kind of have a funny picture in my head, like, okay, if we didn't have a local congregation anywhere, just everybody had a very private faith, how is anybody going to know? (laughs) Because the whole idea of the church gathering together and growing in numbers is evangelism. And so for people that want to stay home and refrain from joining in, teaming up with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a stagnant faith that doesn't go anywhere because there's no action. There's a call to action by scripture, but there's no action on our part because we just stay home, closet Christians having our private faith, but there's no evangelism. And so nobody's going to know that we're our, that we're disciples of Christ because we're not loving one another as he called us to do. And to piggyback off of that concept, we understand that we have been gifted. Everybody has a gift, something that they can offer to God. 
as a form of worship. And it's a gift that benefits other Christians. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 27, it's a long passage, but Paul is talking about a variety of gifts. Essentially, there's one God, but there's multiple gifts. We have all been blessed uh, because even though there's one body, the body of Christ, it's composed of many members. Whether you consider yourself an eye or an ear or a fingertip, whatever, each of us plays a unique part that benefits the whole body. Uh, I'll just read from verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So it's very pointed. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Fellow Christian, my brother, my sister, you are sitting at home. You may be reading your Bible day in and day out. You may have a beautiful prayer life. You may have donated money to world evangelism for nonprofit organizations or Christian organizations that aren't tied to any specific church. But nevertheless, God is calling us to be a part of the body. And the body is connected. Think of any part of your body that's not attached to the body. It is dead. If you lose an arm, it decays. You lose a limb. It's no longer part of the body. And the body is hurt by it. So it's a lose-lose situation. That local congregation is missing out on the blessings that you would bring them that honor Christ and build up the church. And at the same time, you're missing out because you are like a branch cut from the vine trying to produce fruit on your own. Let that sink in. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. It is foolish to say such a thing, to believe such a thing. And so again, what I said at the beginning, I want to present a positive argument from Scripture that supports the idea of gathering together, being the church. And my fellow Christians, for those of you that don't want to be part of the church or you don't like how the church operates, where is your biblical case for saying, I need to avoid the local congregation? There just isn't one. We have to set aside our own likes and dislikes, and we have to wrestle with Scripture directly. Maybe you haven't found a perfect church. There is no such thing, because as soon as you join it, it would not be perfect anymore, because you are imperfect. I am imperfect. We all fall short. The point is that we are flawed, and we come together, and we find grace in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we find that we can extend that grace to one another as we all persevere and push forward and run the race of the faith. We're not meant to do it alone. And so ultimately, I find that the person who has an avoidance of church 
the reasoning is just not there. What it actually is, is a heart issue, not an argument from reason or from scripture. Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. One thing I want to leave you with today is this. This is something I learned studying apologetics, which is defending the Christian faith. Sometimes you have to look at the non-Christian perspective, assume it's true, and follow it to its absurd conclusions, and that will help people realize just how untrue it is. It's called reductio ad absurdum, reduction to the absurdity. Somebody might say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say you must go to church or thou shalt go to church. Well, okay, but Jesus never said thou shalt not do cocaine. Thou shalt not abuse your pets. And yet we know from the spirit of the law, from the totality of scripture, that those things are not Christ-like. And so we wouldn't do those things. The argument that we have to have direct verbatim instructions from Jesus or from any Christian author in the New Testament to keep us from doing certain things or to make us understand that we ought to be doing certain things is just ridiculous. We don't need the letter of the law. We need the spirit of the law. And when you read scripture, you will generally recognize what things God would permit and what things he wouldn't. We don't need Jesus to talk to us about modern day vocabulary that we use on sinful things. We can study his life and his character and we can know what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. And so again, reductio ad absurdum. If you're going to tell me that we have to have a command from Jesus saying we have to go to church, then by that same logic, you would have to say we have to have a command from Jesus in order to not do cocaine. And obviously we know we're not supposed to do that. So that's all I have for you today. I hope that that little excursus through some scriptures was beneficial to you. I hope that that's at least a starting point for you as you hopefully contemplate how you would navigate those difficult conversations with your brothers and sisters in Christ who want to avoid church. And for the Christian that's listening that you haven't been plugged in for a while or you just, for whatever reason, are avoiding getting into a local congregation, I hope that this is encouraging to you that really God has great plans for you to be a flourishing member of a body of Christ. And also he wants that body to be able to bless you, to be uh, a source of encouragement and to refine your faith, that you can be educated in the faith, uh, a form of accountability. I mean, we get weird when we're on our own. In all honesty, we need each other to help hold each other accountable, to encourage one another to stay strong in the faith. So thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day or evening wherever the Lord finds you in this moment. I pray that he blesses you and that you are better for it after having listened to this podcast. God be with you. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. 
Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.